electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Fast, lightning strikes. Ford soars as the automaker ramps up production of its all-electric F-150 lightning pickup. We'll break down how our traders are playing the blowout move. Plus, a big bike breakdown. Peloton plunging nearly 4% today. The stock now on the verge of erasing all of its pandemic gains. We'll tell you what had investors unhooking from this trade. And later, a new stock for the new year. One of our traders has taken the mound with a fast pitch. Why he or she thinks this retailer is set to soar, we'll bring you the name. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Let's get right to it. As we welcome in a new year, it is out with the new and in with the old. Here's what we mean by that. Just check out the action in, today, uh, in today's trade. Newcomer, a firm tanking 10%. Well, Central J.P. Morgan rallying nearly 4 Poshmark sinking nearly 7%. Macy's adding 25 Block, formerly known as Square, taking a big hit. Legacy player MasterCard, though, seeing a pop. That trend playing out across sectors as rates rally. The 10-year Treasury yield up 30 basis points in just 10 days. So is this the same old, same old rising rates hitting high valuation stocks? Or is there more to this story this time around? Dan Nathan, what do you say? Yeah, well, Mel, we saw this earlier in the year, uh, earlier last year, in the very beginning of the year when rates started rallying. And we saw a lot of the names that you had up there that were down today had huge 2020s and they gave a lot back in early 21. Investors were revaluing some of these growth stories, assuming that we were going to see decelerating growth on the other side of the pandemic. Well, the interesting thing is that things got incrementally better with the vaccines and in certain parts of the economy opening fairly fully in 2021. But a lot of those stocks kept on going lower. And when you look at some of the drops, you had Square there, that stock had already dropped 30% before today's drop. So to me, what I think is really interesting is that this is the similar action that we saw in early 2021. We saw rates rise. But the real focus here is how much rates were going to go up um, at this point. We know that they topped out in Q1 of 2021, the 10-year at 1.77. We're not far from that right now, but there doesn't really seem to be a whole heck of a lot of indication that the 10-year is going much higher very quickly, very soon. I guess that's really the underlying question here. If rates are capped, let's just say they go up to and test that 177 level or thereabouts. Karen, does that mean that that valuation, high valuation names trade better? Or is this part of a valuation reckoning? Investors are really turning away from these names and looking at value at this point. I think you're right. I think this is sort of a reckoning because uh, last year, when Dan talked about it, at that same time, the Fed was very much there. There was no discussion of when they would taper or when they would raise. Now, obviously, that is very much on the table, and that is the expected outcome in the short term. So I think even if rates go a little bit higher and stop there, one could make the case that those support high multiples. But the idea of the sentiment of the Fed being there for us, no matter what, I don't think that's there anymore. So. Also, I think that the divergence between the high flyers, which just had, you know, uh, almost lost any gravitational pull toward value versus the low PEs got so huge that, I mean, there's still a lot of convergence left to go. So I think there's more of this. Right. So there's a lot more to this rotation than, than we're seeing right now, Tim. Where would you go? 
Well, and before we discount the fact that rates can't go much past 175, which everyone's rightly pointing out has been a level that they've struggled, that uptrend from August 2020 is still very much alive with the 10-year. And if anything, um, tells you that it's, it's put in a lot of hard work to maybe make a test well through 175, probably up to 190. But, you know, so let's go back to a block versus a MasterCard. Um, you know, look, MasterCard uh, trades at a multiple around 30 times next 12 months. That's five or six turns cheaper to where it was pre-COVID. Um, the, the ticker on square, block, whatever we're calling it, is is still not something that really makes sense. The fact that you're going to see uh, a lot more activity in crypto and blockchain, I don't think anybody really questions at this point. Um, whether that's going to disintermediate and, and essentially box out MasterCard, I would highly, highly doubt. In fact, um, I think MasterCard and Visa are going to be there for the long term for transactions that are certainly done in digital, but also in crypto. And, and I think it's it's a case where people are evaluating whether these new economy stocks are really worth paying the multiple for. So it's a combination of, yes, I actually think rates are putting in the work that they're supposed to do. And remember where we were uh, going into COVID and, and roughly where rates should probably normalize that maybe even higher in an environment where the Fed's more aggressive. But I think it's a case where um, there's a little bit of, of, of both going on. I do think valuations matter significantly, but I also think you can't be an old economy stock without being around and having evolved into the new economy. So whether you're a financial institution, obviously you're involved in fintech, but whether you're a retailer, this isn't just about e-commerce plays. Um, and so a Macy's or some of these other um, days of your uh, names that have actually reinvented themselves, of course they have. And, and that's really the story here. I think a lot of these legacy businesses um, have evolved. It just hasn't been as sexy on the front line. Yeah, I mean, we're saying old stocks, and we use that in quotes, Guy, because there is somewhat of a convergence. These older line businesses are finding ways to become um, more digitally forward. I mean, if you take a look, at, as Tim said, Macy's, its direct-to-consumer strategy, its online strategy is working. J.P. Morgan and a lot of the other financials are looking for ways to become more fintech-y. Um, and so is part of this just getting recognized for that part of the valuation, which was undervalued previously? They've been forced to, right, for good mm -hmm. reason. And now they're being recognized, I think, because of everything the guys and gals just said, because the market's now concerned about valuation for the first time in a long time. It's interesting, there are all those fun sayings in the markets, you know, sell in May and go away, things that I'm just loath to say because it just makes me, like, squeamish, like that, like, wince. But there is one, you know, don't fight the Fed, which I tend not to say either. But if it's true, if it's a mantra, David Tepper talks about it all the time, typically you don't fight the Fed when they're, adding liquidity to the system and the market's going higher. But if that mantra is true when they're easing, shouldn't it necessarily be true when they're tightening? So why would you want to fight them now? And I think that's what you're seeing in some of these high growth, high valuation names. But the argument is that tightening won't impact valuations too much unless rates goes, cons goes considerably higher from here. So if I were to tell you, Dan, which 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 what? Guy. Which I think was, they are, by the way. Now, I've thought okay. that for a while incorrectly, but I'm going to stand by it. I think 10 years are headed have a beeline to 2%. To 2%. Okay, I think that, I mean, 2%. Show of hands, 2% rates on the 10-year, will that mean that stocks pull back in general? By Raise when? Hand. By when? <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, is 2% the line of the sand? If I were to say, Dan Nathan, right now, that rates hold 1.7 and go not a basis point higher, what do stocks do? Well, how, do you, how, how does that change your investment strategy? 
I think what these guys are also kind of hinting at is that the Fed is kind of painting themselves in a corner. I think we would all agree that this taper is coming way too late here. And so we're talking about, we're debating about where rates are going to be in the 10-year. We already know that investors in the bond market have already taken the two-year where they think it should be here. And so the notion that we're going to be done with this taper fairly soon, they are not going to change their course on that. But the idea that we're going to have three rate hikes in 2022, I don't know, man. I mean, you can look at the CME Fed uh, Fed tracker there, and you can look at the probabilities of that. But there are so many curveballs, and we know what Fed Chair Powell had to do in late 2018 after they were raising rates, I think a quarter point every other meeting. And you know, we had a Fed funds that got above two and a half percent. The stock market went down 20 percent in a straight line, and they went and got really dovish. I just think that when you look at what went on in the stock market today, there are real companies with real market cap that got taken off of because of valuation. I'm just going to point mm-hmm. to one in particular, and it's Shopify. And this fits all the stuff that you guys were talking about as it relates to fintech and innovative um, sort of companies kind of changing. You know what I mean? Like we've spent so much time talking about Amazon over the last 15 years. I think Shopify is that company for the next 10 years. It lost 10% today. It was already down 20 some percent into today. And so that's investors saying, okay, well, we were at 30 times last year's sales for a company with a $125 billion market cap. That makes no sense. And there you go. They re-rate it. And that's what's going on, I think, all over the market. And then there's these ones that we've spent way too much time on. The Twitter, the Snapchat, the Pinterest, they all made 52-week lows today. They're all down more than 30-some percent from their 2021 highs. There's stuff going on in the stock market that investors who buy stocks were not passive investors. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Better pay attention to because we were talking about it on our call before. We're all a bit older. We're all a bit grayer. We remember how things come unraveled, and this is one way it does. I mean, Karen, on that call, you were saying this reminds you of 2000? Yes, it does. I mean, we had the Internet bubble obviously burst in 2000, and so you had all of these high flyers, and people just couldn't get out fast enough, so they would fall every single day a lot. And then you had names that were, you know, like at Allstate Insurance or things that were just boring old companies that traded at low PEs, and that's where you wanted to be. And so this reminds me of that. So, you know, we brought up J.P. Morgan. I think of like J.P. Morgan versus Newbank when they went public. Newbank was 10 percent of the value of J.P. Morgan. I found that absolutely astonishing. Or if you look at, you know, we talk a lot about Square and PayPal and how they want to take over and be your bank and be your everything. And they trade at these incredible multiples. But if they're going to be your bank, are they going to trade at a bank multiple? That chasm was so wide. And I think most of that, if it does converge, will come from the high flyers coming down. 
because even though things are down a lot, a firm's down a lot, it's not, it's not like it's super cheap, mm-hmm. right? But I would look at something like a Bank of America and say, you know, it's still pretty cheap, even though it's up, you know, five bucks in two days, still pretty cheap. A lot of these companies, though, are companies for the future. Maybe they shouldn't have traded where they had traded before. So are there any, Tim, right now that you have on your list sort of keeping an eye on? If it gets low enough, you might pick it up. Well, I mean, look, I, I, I like Palantir. Um, I own DraftKings. Um, Karen talks about Zillow. I kind of agree with a lot mm-hmm. of these. So th- these are stories that for different reasons got tweaked significantly higher. I, I, I just think that, you know, we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Paul Sankey later on in the show. I mean, think think about some of these, these uh, you know, carbon uh, footprint oil companies that are, that are going to be, you know, carbon neutral in 15 years. And, and just the world is changing. And, and I just think uh, we are reassessing whether flagship companies who already have brands, who have infrastructure, who have distribution, who have logistics, um, they're worth a lot. And, and, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be making some of these adjustments. And again, like, you, know, you have the extremes at all sides. Another one of these pairs we talked about was Roku versus Viacom. Um, Karen's Viacom, by the way. And, and by the way, it's had a good couple days. <laughs> it, it's a case where Viacom and Roku on a trailing basis, 135 times for Roku, seven times or six and a half times for Viacom. Now we know Viacom has their problems, but, but at the end of the day, they have content. They have distribution. They are showing that there's actually an evolution into a streaming model. And, and I think this is something that investors, as well as customers, are, are evaluating almost simultaneously. Well, we've got a news alert here on uh, Beyond Meat we want to get to share. It's jumping in the after hours. Kate Rogers has got the story. Kate. Hey, Melissa, we just reported Beyond Meat. Uh, its stock, as you mentioned, up around 6% on news that KFC is going to be rolling out Beyond Meat fried chicken breast nationwide starting next Monday. This comes after several years of tests that were successful for those two brands. I spoke with Beyond CEO and KFC's U.S. president who both expressed confidence about the upcoming launch, particularly the muscle mimicking of the product. This is going to be available for a limited time in nearly 4,000 locations across the U.S. Now, nearly a year ago, Beyond announced its formal partnership with Yum to make exclusive of meat substitutes for Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC. Beyond also brought on two Tyson execs rather in December in COO and chief supply chain officer roles ahead of those uh, expected launches across those brands in 2022. Yum! shares up about 30% over the last year. If you remember, Chipotle also added a new plant-based chorizo for a limited time on Monday. Both Beyond and KFC execs pointing to changing consumer preferences and good timing in January for this anticipated product launch. Melissa, back over to you. It's interesting that they say specifically that this is um, a substitute for chicken breasts. I mean, the breast meat has a very specific texture as opposed to a nugget, which is sort That's of right. an amorphous sort of glob <laughs> of, of protein. Um, any any insight on, on how that would be texture wise? It's more of a whole muscle product, as you mentioned, in, instead of more of a ground meat type of a substitute, as you'd see in a chicken nugget, which is what Beyond sells in grocery stores. So this is a KFC-specific product. As mentioned, they did test this uh, over the past several years. One of the tests sold out in just about five hours, I believe, in Atlanta. So they've been kind of tweaking this recipe over the last few years, and, and both executives really sounding confident ahead of this upcoming launch next week. Uh, muscle mimicking doesn't exactly sound appetizing, but I'll take your word for it. Kate, thank you. <laughs> Kate Rogers with the latest on that. Um, Guy Dami, obviously big news for Beyond as it inks up some more deals here. 15-year anniversary coming up, and that's the first time we talked about, what did you say, amorphous chicken nuggets? And, I mean, that was, that was me. I couldn't Listen, think of what the, you know, the consistency. Listen, a couple things made me win already this show. 
Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, if I wasn't nauseous before, I am now, sister. But how do you trade the stock? Because nobody really cares about what I think about Beyond Meat's chicken breast. Look, look where it just traded down to. We basically traded down and touched the March 2020 lows and it bounced. If you're looking for a textbook double bottom and something to trade around, you might have gotten in Beyond Meat, which I think reports not that it matters in early March. Coming up. New Year Energy, oil coming off a blowout year, but can crude continue its climb? Our next guest is laying out his top plays in the space. But first, Ford fired up. The automaker planning to nearly double production of its electric pickup truck. We're breaking down that trade when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Ford speeding higher after the company announced plans to nearly double production of its electric F-150 Lightning truck. Let's get to Phil Abo with all the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, heck of a day for Ford. And it's not surprising when the company uh, intimated about a month ago, Jim Farley told our Jim Cramer, yeah, we're going to try to see if we can double our production. It was not a surprise that today they said, oh, we're going to do it. And here's what the plan is when it comes to electric vehicle production, specifically revolving around the F-150 Lightning. Remember, that's the electric pickup truck the company will start building. And we should see delivery starting uh, in the first half of this year. Production plan has almost doubled. They plan to build 150,000 annually by 2023. They're not going to get to 150,000 right away, but they plan to get there by 2023. And by the way, this week they are now saying if you have a reservation for a Lightning, you can convert that over to an official order. Speaking of those reservations, they now top basically 200,000, which is where they were when they froze the reservation order bank uh, last month. And now they are saying if you have one of those orders, your reservations, you can convert it to an order. Ford shares, by the way, in the last year, up 170%. It's all about the EVs. That's the focus for investors when it comes to auto stocks. And here's the reason why. Look at the growth in EVs that's expected through 2025. This year, they're expected to be about 4.5% of the market. By 2025, according to LMC Automotive, they should be 12% of the market. All of this comes on a day when you take a look at the traditional auto sales, overall auto sales in the U.S., and a changing of the guard. Now, you can make a point and say, well, look, because of the chip crisis, GM's production was restricted. But this is the first year that General Motors is not, not number one in annual auto sales in the United States. First time since, I think, 93 years ago, Toyota edges them out by about 100,000 vehicles. For General Motors, however, another day where the stock moved higher. In fact, it is now at an all-time high since its IPO, since it came out of bankruptcy. The company's sales in the fourth quarter down 42.9%. That's actually better than many expected. And the commentary during the sales call, fairly optimistic about the chip situation improving. For General Motors, however, much like all the other automakers, the focus 
at least conveying it to uh, investors right now, is about electric vehicles. And tomorrow it will show the F-150, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Chevy Silverado electric vehicle. So the Chevy Silverado EV will be unveiled tomorrow. We're going to talk with GM CEO Mary Barra during Power Lunch. You don't want to miss what she has to say. We'll talk not only about the Silverado EV, the importance of them trying to get some momentum here because the F-150 Lightning has all the momentum in terms of the perception of electric pickup trucks out there. And finally, this note, Melissa, we just got the final tally in terms of auto sales in the U.S. this year, 15.1 million, according to uh, auto data. Uh, and they crunch the numbers as they always do. That is the weakest annual auto sales in the United States since 2012. The Melissa, Silver, back to you. The Silverado fail is GM's top-selling vehicle. I'm wondering how you think yep. the unveil of this vehicle on the week where people can convert their reservations for the Lightning F-150 um, starts. I mean, if people might be hesitant to actually convert the reservations into orders upon seeing the competing truck. I don't think so. And here's the reason why. Generally speaking, pickup truck buyers are extremely brand loyal. And that's not to say that everybody who's buying an F-150 Lightning is only a Ford buyer. In other words, it's somebody who has always driven an F-150. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 50 or a Ford truck and wants to buy an electric version of that. There's certainly people from other brands that are interested and have uh, said, I'll take an F-150. But when you look at the Silverado versus the F-150, their core customer attraction, it's going to be the people who are already loyal to those brands. So I think you're going to see the Silverado EV probably rack up quite a bit of reservations. I don't know if it'll do as well as the F-150, but I think there are going to be a lot of Chevy people out there who are going to say, let me see this. If they like it, they'll place a, a reservation for it. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Guy Dami, the ultimate would you rather, Ford or GM at this point? <laughs> Listen, I thank Tim for, you know, he was early and right on Ford, Karen and Dan as well. But I got on that bus at some point as well. And we've said for a while it's a math problem. You're going to earn two bucks, you throw a 12 multiple. Well, here we are at 24 bucks. I still think Ford's got room. You know, I think it's going to continue to get re-rated. And I think that $2 of earnings is probably going to go up. So, would you rather, which is a great game, by the way, Ford over GM? It's a fast money classic as we uh, embark on our 15th anniversary here. Uh, Karen, you like GM. What does, Mary, what does Mary Barr have to tell you to make you more confident about the story? Well, I think the truck needs to wow. This is sort of a make or break moment for Mary Barra. Obviously, she has staked her entire administration, her entire tenure there 
on this evolution to EVs. And so, you know, we got a tiny taste of this, the, of what they're going to do, the, not the Bolt, the Hummer. But now this is a very, very big launch. It's really important to her. It's really important to, G, to GM. I don't know if we'll, we'll have to see how the orders come in. I know it's not going to be in production until later. So um, it's a very important moment. I still think, though, I know it's at an all-time high post-bankruptcy, but the multiple here is also crazy. When you look at it versus a Rivian, it's, it's astounding. To think that Rivian and GM are about the same market cap and Rivian has produced how many vehicles compared to GM is astounding in and of itself. Dan, I'm curious because you are known to put reservations down on new vehicles that have not uh, yet been produced. <laughs> are you inclined to do so? No, and I'll tell you why. I, I got rid of my Ford uh, Mustang Mach-E a couple weeks ago, and here's the thing about that um, F-150 electric. The standard battery pack, Mel, has 230-mile range. This is a big, heavy truck, and users of those trucks are hauling stuff. Users of those trucks might be using air conditioning. They might be using the radio, and when you take uh, into account that that's going to take up 10 to 20 percent, I think you're going to have um, a very disappointing sort of scenario, in my personal opinion relative to where the stocks are. You might have seen all of this activity with all of these orders, but then when some of the early reviews come out for people who are really using these trucks rather than like guy going to the, the Blockbuster or the grocery store, whatever the heck he's doing this truck, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So I just think that it's not going to be the heavy truck that you think it is, is my personal view. All right. We are just getting started here in Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. New year, old energy? Crude closing out a monster year. But can the gains keep pumping? We're trading the top plays in the space next. Plus, it's about to be a fast pitch central. We're looking back at some of the traders' top calls. And Tim is winding up for the first pitch of the new year. There's much more Fast Money coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at the energy market action. Uh, oil stocks are rallying OPEC Plus's decision to boost production by 400,000 barrels a day despite Omicron. Let's grease up the oil trade as we kick off 2022 with Fast Money friend Paul Sankey, lead analyst at Sankey Research. Paul, great to have you with us. Hi, Melissa. Happy New Year. Of course, you'd be the lead analyst at Sankey Research. Um, Paul, you think oil could go 80 to 120. 120 is a magic number. That's the point at which there's demand destruction all the way up until 120. Yeah, I mean, around that level, we're, we're just basically talking about a new range for oil uh, because demand is so strong, notwithstanding the fact that we're breaking into the $80, which is obviously the lower end of the range. But 
but you know I think we're out of that 40 to 80 range is the point that we obviously went through at the low in 2020 where we averaged just 40 for for that dreadful year of COVID, full COVID. So what kind of oil company at this point, given last year's tremendous gains and where oil is headed neck this year, I should say, um, or at least how, where it's, you're forecasting it heading, what part of the oil patch do you like the best? Which, which has the most leverage? Well, of course, you know, we're not worried about last year's performance because, by goodness, it was a tough journey getting to the lows, you know. So we're talking about the law of small numbers here with the, with the improvement we saw last year. We were the best performing sector in the market. I'm really hopeful that we can do it again this year. And, you know, it just looks good for all of them, basically, because demand is strong without uh, jet fuel really being obviously back to full blast. But at the moment, for example, we've got all-time record U.S. gasoline demand for the time of year. And we've just come off uh, the phone with the CEO of Marathon for my refining, my annual refining conference, Marathon Petroleum. You know, you've got only three or four major refiners left in the U.S., all-time record gasoline demand. Uh, you've got uh, absolutely uh, the potential for even more demand this year on a very consolidated sector. So for example, Marathon Petroleum with $40 billion market cap can buy back $10 billion worth of stock this year. At the same time, I've been listening to you on these EVs. There's just too many of them with too many, too much market cap. So our trade is uh, long MPC Marathon Petroleum short Rivian or any of them almost. Hey, Paul, it's Tim. Um, so th that certainly makes a lot of sense in the valuation discussion we were having and, and kind of agree with you there. I, I want to talk about how the energy equities are now outperforming the price of the underlying. We weren't seeing this last year. We we're certainly seeing underperformance in oil services. It's not a linear relationship. You're talking to the smartest oil investors in the world every day. Why is that happening now? Yeah, it's interesting. Some, quite a few of the major shops have actually declared energy as, a, as the best performing sector of the coming year, that is of 2022. Uh, it's not a linear relationship, basically, because once uh, you get up to these levels, it's all free cash flow and free cash flow yield. And if you believe in the capital discipline, you're just exploding the cash return levels here. That's why I think that the sector can still go up, you know, 20, 25, 30 percent. At the moment, if you look at Chevron and Exxon as big cap examples, they're the by far the highest free cash flow yield stocks of the top 30 or so stocks in the S&P. And we're talking here about 10 to 15 percent free cash flow yields uh, at more like a 60 to $65 range. Every dollar above that is just pure additional juice. And we've already just had Exxon uh, end the year with a, with a positive profit uh, outlook for Q4. So I think all the EPS numbers going up and, uh, you know, we're seeing some of these story stocks with, with no real cash return behind them is, is becoming really problematic in a rising interest rate environment. It's a long marathon, short Rivian. Um, well, we'll keep you honest on that one, Paul. It's an interesting pairs trade. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Thanks. Paul Sankey. Sankey Research. Um, are you with Paul on that trade, Guy? Yes. And look, I incorrectly thought oil would be triple digits by the end of last year, 2021. That obviously didn't happen. But I think it's bound to happen. I think it's going to happen early this year. And MPC, Marathon Petroleum, they're going to earn $4 a share. Um, and you're talking about earnings growth. Well, they got it. And he just mentioned how pristine their balance sheet is and their, their ability to buy back stock. So I think there's a real good chance this stock takes out the highs I think we made in, in 2018 of 85 bucks or so. So I'm with Paul. Listen, I can't speak on the Rivian short side of things, but I think I'm with them on the MPC long. Um, Karen, O was the O in zombie, correct? 
<laughs> right. Uh, yes, for OIH. Or, I mean, really, it was just to have energy exposure. Um, I know you didn't ask me about his trade, but I really like it for two reasons. Huh. One, we've seen pendulum swing too far, right? So oil pendulum swung way too far. And I think we're only, you know, heading back. It's nowhere near back. So we think we can see the pendulum swing the other way. And the same for Rivian. The pendulum, I think, swung way too far, you know, right out of the gate. So if the pendulum swings back, you have two pendulums swinging, that would be a great trade. Coming up, a Peloton plunge shares the pandemic winner now nearly 80% off their all-time high. So what is next for the stock? And get ready for the first fast pitch of the new year. Our own Tim Seymour is warming up to throw some heat. Plus, we'll get trade updates on some of our traders' old calls. The pitch progress reports are next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. New Year, new stock picks. Or Tim Seymour has brought us a brand new name he is bullish on. But before he takes the mound, we thought this would be the perfect time to take a look back and update you on a few of our fast pitches from the previous year. Now, Karen pitched Real Real back on June 9th. That stock is down 33% since. You've got a trade update. You've actually added to this position since? I, yes. Uh, timing, timing, timing is everything. Yes. Thanks for, thanks for bringing up a really not so good one. But I have been adding to it. Um, I still like it. The story is evolving as I hoped they would. The stock obviously is not. We have a chart of some of the other comps, which would be Rent the Runway, which is an IPO a couple of months ago, and Poshmark. And Re- Real is the giant among a really disappointing crowd of not, not so giants. But to their to their own story is that they've been doing a lot of the right things, right? They have rationalized their cost, which is an excellent thing. So uh, they've also ha- added stores, which is creating an ecosystem for them. People go to those local stores, can sign, and then they become buyers. And it's it's a really efficient way to grow their business. That's been a very good thing. They hired a new CFO. They need to really start to approach profitability now. It's time already. So I am hoping by the end of this year that they will be able to do that. It's really not super expensive at two and change times earnings. Um, And they're doing all the right things. We're going to see them increase their margins because they're going to be charging higher fees. And I love the sustainability element of it. So for all of those reasons, I am still long and more long in terms of shares, less long in terms of dollars, because obviously stocks traded down. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, Guy. Uh, Guy stepped up to the mound, pitched FedEx back in July. The name is down more than 10 percent since that pitch. So what's your update, Guy? So it's a progress report. When I was a kid, you know, it's to rue the day when those came home. I figured at 58 <laughs> I was outside of that realm. I wouldn't have to worry about it. But here we are with a progress report that sucks in a word. It hasn't been good. I mean, I think I was power pitching FedEx when it was 295 or so, and it's gone screw- literally straight down. It's gotten off the mat recently. Here's what the good news is. Valuation is still compelling at 11 times next year. So they have decent EPS growth. And, oh, by the way, uh, they're buying back $5 billion worth of stock. And in December, they announced they're going to do an accelerated stock buyback. So they think their stock is too cheap as well. I'll stand by it. It has not been pleasant. You know, I thought it was off to the races in the spring when it was 315. That was wrong. But I think on valuation alone, you've got to own this name. Okay, so now everybody's updated on those trades. Let's get a new idea now for the new year. So Tim is going to take the mound for his fast pitch, the first of 22. Tim, take it away. 
Yeah, and when you're talking about Best Buy, we're talking about a company that, to me, is, is a pitch right down in the middle of the plate. There's nothing fancy here in terms of a growth story that's uh, overly exciting. This is a re-rating story for a company uh, that fell 35% or so uh, to a valuation that, to me, is, is way too cheap for the last man or woman or store standing essentially in the electronic space. I mean, they deserve a premium and at 10 times, the stock is way too cheap. So what happened in that third quarter release? I mean, ultimately they guided on some lower gross margins. There was a heavy promotional environment, but the bottom line is um, this is a company that will have over 10% free cash flow yield. will probably be buying back a billion dollars of stock over the next couple of years each year. Uh, and, and that to me will again, support this valuation in terms of innovation things that they're doing and you know maybe that fancy pitch that might nip the outside corner um, this best buy total tech but their best buy beta which is an advancement upon that is a 200 dollar a year subscription service that it's a loyalty service it's 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 certainly a concierge service but it it engages their audience it's a, a massively accretive margin experience and i think it's you know look walmart did it amazon we know has done it um, but in best buy's case again cementing the relationship the loyalty with the customer makes a ton of sense and and i think it's not appreciated in the stock price finally the outlook again that third quarter was tough but the fourth quarter outlook is very very strong partially because we're just through really really tough COVID comps. And so again, same store sales of 4.8%, a much less promotional environment, inventory levels that have come all the way back. And again, stockouts and, and some of the issues that were plaguing Best Buy, like other retailers, I think are alleviating significantly. Super Bowl season around the corner, they're going to be out buying a new TV set. Bottom line is though, this company has derated and there's no reason for it because again, it deserves a premium. It's the last company standing in their space. I like Best Buy a lot. What is this nipping the outside corner uh, thing, Tim? Well, it, you know, that's, Mel, when you're standing at the plate and suddenly someone throws an Uncle Charlie and, and drops you to your knees, basically, and it just catches the, the corner mm -hmm. of the plate. But, we'll, you know, we'll save that for inside okay. baseball. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you have an actual question yep. for Tim. I have an actual. Hey, Tim, so I love your work here. Um, just real quick question, though. Before that 30% drop in December um, when they had that bomb of a guide down, what were investors thinking when that stock was trading at all-time highs? And it went up 30% in a straight line in a matter of weeks. And to your point, this is never going to be a consistent double-digit earnings and sales grower. So what is, what is the ultimate bull case, though, other than value? Well, I mean, there's a couple things, including some of the innovation. And again, today, this is a company that, that outlined their in-house ad business because they, like Walmart and a couple of the other major retailers in Target, um, touch 3 billion customers a year on their site. So um, I just think that the, the, the gross margin story is part of where actually the, the re-rating to the upside should take place. I don't think, look, they, they grew sales, excuse me, they grew earnings 30% the two previous years. I don't think they're going to do that again, um, unless we have another COVID dynamic that changes their business. But what people were believing in was a company that's never been run better, that's been very resilient as the, their industry you know, collapsed and killed everyone else around them. And I think it's an efficiently run business. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on Best Buy? Guy, what do you say? You know, people think we rehearse these shows. We don't. But will you read my smart board there, Mel, please? <laughs> it says hashtag, hashtag smooth, uh, wicked Uncle Charlie. Wicked Uncle Charlie. See, we're so inside each other's heads, it's scary. 
it was a wicked Uncle Charlie, and he painted the corner. I'm with him. Listen, you've round-tripped that move from basically 95 to 138, back to 95. Valuation is compelling, and they're buying back stock. Well done, Greg Maddox. I mean, Tim Seymour. Karen, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone who watches our show thinks we've rehearsed. That, that's just my own view. But I'm with Tim on this one. Um, I, you know, you had me at value, but also, I mean, they've done a tremendous job navigating a lot of for, for years, right? We thought they would go in, you, as you said, with the Amazon threat. They haven't. They've remade their business. They've done a great job. I like it. All right, That's Dan. My. Dan, you're up. All right, Mel. For those loyal viewers who hear us say Tim's Macy's and that sort of thing, how do you get that? How do you get that? You get that by doing a fast pitch, and Tim just did that. So this is going to be Tim's Best Buy from here on out. Here on out, and I buy Best Buy with my little eye because that was a great pitch, Tim. Wow! <laughs> so everybody's with you, Tim. The traders have voted. It is now your turn to vote. You out there, the viewer, are you buying Tim's fast pitch on Best Buy? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to weigh in. We'll bring you the results later on in the show. Coming up. A big bike breakdown, Peloton plunging the stock on the brink of erasing all its pandemic gains. We'll break down what is next for this trade. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Peloton, the fitness equipment maker, sinking almost 4% today and on the brink of wiping out all of its pandemic gains. Shares of the company are now down more than 80% from its 52-week high. So is this the end of the ride for Peloton? Dan, what do you, what do you make of is this? Is this something that can recover? Well, it definitely could recover, but probably from lower levels. And it goes back to what Karen started the show out talking about what, how we remember some really exciting growth stocks, the way they sold off in 00, 01, 02, and they really didn't bottom for a while. And so, you know, we were talking about this earlier, you know, from home, home in particular is kind of a four letter word in this market. It certainly was in 2021. When you think about work from home, Zoom or work out from home, Peloton or school from home, Chegg or trade stocks from home, Hood or bet from home, um, DraftKings, all of those stocks were down 65, 70, some 80% from their all-time highs in 2021. And you just mentioned round-tripping moves. Well, look at Zoom, look at Peloton. There are gaps, there are further gaps to be had if you're gonna fully round-trip these moves. So when things like this fall out of favor, there's no low, low enough. And I don't think we're there yet with some of them. Zoom though would be one at some point in the not so distant future at a lower level, I think is a layup. The kind of growth that we saw during the pandemic may be un, unmatchable in the future. And so I guess the question here is when it normalizes back to growth, have we reached a point, though, where future growth has already been pulled forward to the point where there is not much growth in the future? Tim. Well, look, I, I like so many of the trends that were advanced and accelerated during COVID. I, I think people were switching in some sense from the gym to move you know, back home and, and have the flexibility, et cetera. Um, look, I, this has round trip. Let's be clear. This was a $34 stock on February 5th, 2020, before we were that concerned about COVID in this country, other parts of the world maybe differently. But I, I you know, I, I think uh, the dynamic with, with Peloton is I, I'm more of a buyer when I see that the last analyst on the street or a couple um, that have downgraded this stock from one, 180 to, to, you know, kind of 110 to 58, 59, mm -hmm. and then they come down to 30 bucks. Thanks very much. Um, I, I think this, this stock is very close. Uh, and I do think that there's a lot of value there. 
Yeah, when I hear that, I think of Carter Braxton Worth when he says, so bad it's good. Is it so bad yet, though, is the question. Guy. No, because I think you're waiting for a day just to sort of add on to everything that's been said. Mm. You're waiting for a capitulation day in terms of volume, and I don't think you've seen it yet. I mean, it's a stock that typically trades 15 million shares a day. I think you've got to wait for a day where it trades north of 75 and has a huge whoosh to the downside, and that probably happens with a two-handle in front of the now three-handle. So, wow. you know, if this stock trades in the high 20s on that type of volume, that's when you start to eyes or ears perk up a bit. All right, coming up, fintech trouble. Shares of a firm dropping hard, adding to the stock's recent plunge. But one options trader just bought, uh, made a mil- multi-million dollar bet on a possible turnaround. We'll bring you that trade. And there's still time to vote for Tim's fast pitch. Are you buying Best Buy? Head over to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to weigh in. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting with EMED's chief science officer about at-home rapid COVID testing. Catch the full interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the information on your screen. Well, shares of buy now, pay later stock, a firm getting crushed in today's sessions, now down more than 15% in just the first two days of 2022. But one options trader is betting $5.5 million that if you buy now, it will pay off later. Uh, Mike Coach is the action. Mike. Yeah, so taking a look at a firm, we saw it trade about four times its average daily call volume. That was largely a result of a large purchase of the February 95 110 call spread. We saw a block of 15,200 of those spreads trade for $3.65 each. That's an outlay, as you pointed out, of about $5.5 million in premium. It looks like an adjustment of an earlier bullish bet. It seems that despite this big decline that we've seen. Somebody is willing to press their bullish bet, except that they're looking for participation a little bit earlier. By the way, the options market is implying that a firm could move about 25 percent higher or lower between now and when those options expire. Wow, that's a huge swing. Um, Karen, you know, this came up in our conversation about the crush in valuation in the quote-unquote new stocks. To add to that for a firm specifically, mm-hmm. there is also concerns about regulatory action here. Uh, to me, they're just concerned about valuation, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of good things have happened and buy now, pay later has exploded, but I still come back to that that dichotomy of the valuation for banks that are in related businesses, and some even have buy now, pay later, and a name like this or PayPal. It just, I, 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 it's still, that chasm is still huge. Yeah. Mike, I'm just, I'm just curious, what has the action been in old line banks? I mean, just to sort of round out the conversation back to the way we started the show. Yeah, it's been very, very positive. I mean, we finished the oh. year and basically a lot of the winners that we saw, like technology and energy, were the ones that saw the most bullish sentiment. But financials actually probably came in third place as a sector. And that's consistent with the activity that we've seen these first two trading days. Yesterday, we saw a lot of bullish activity in XLF, JP Morgan, Bank of America, and Citi. And we saw a lot more of that activity today, a lot of upside call buying. So I think people are pretty bullish here on financials generally. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Co. for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up. There is still time to vote for Tim's Fast Pitch in our Twitter poll. Are you buying Best Buy? Head on over at CNBC Fast Money. Cast your vote. The results and final trades up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if you're buying Tim's fast pitch on Best Buy. It was close, but 55% of you out there said, nope, 
It is not a buy here. 45% says yes. That's the bright side of things. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to go fastball down the middle now instead of the Uncle Charlie. Best buy. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> Tim doesn't even get to hear a little Tony Braxton, which I know he loves. Um, if you want value, yeah. which I do, look no further than Walgreens. WBA. Great value. Low PE. Dan. Yeah, I'm not a Beyond Chicken guy, but I like the Shake uh, the Shake Shack Chicken Shack, and I am a leg man anyway, so that one's fine, you know. <laughs> Gee. Yeah, no comment on any of that stuff. Halliburton sister, H-A-L. All right. Thanks for watching. Mad Money starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.